This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 685 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast on your head number one. My name is Matt Baum, and I gotta say, I was pleasantly surprised to wake up and not find America a smoking hole in the ground after election day. To the internet's Joe Patrick, and it's almost like there was a very vocal minority making empty threats to the whole country, and the media couldn't stop reporting on it. Right? They were just like, "Oh no, it's gonna be bad. We're all in trouble." And here we are. <laughs> Everything's fine. In this episode, the Cosmic Longbox returns. Of course, this means we're reviewing and discussing eight back issue comics based on a theme. After that, we're gonna set you up with our must-read picks for next week. But now. We've got to slip on our scuba gear for this week's Cosmic Longbox theme. Get ready to get wet, nerds, because it's back at you review time! Fishman voice. I'm just going to let you drown. It's a fishman voice. Oh, okay, okay. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The neighbor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. This week, our sentient cosmic long box wants to know all about that sexy shirtless guy with the wings on his ankles from the upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Marvel's first anti-hero, Namor the Submariner. Namor McKenzie. Bet you didn't know his last name. It sounds was created ridiculous by... when we say that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it is it was... I, Namor McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> he was created by Bill Everett way back in 1939 and made his first appearance, depending on who you ask, uh, in Marvel Comics number one from Timely, the predecessor to Marvel. Wait, qualify um, that. What do you mean, depending on who you ask? Uh, there's also some debate about whether or not he technically first appeared in some, like, I don't remember what it was, but some kind of, like, uh, newspaper funnies kind yeah, of thing. that was unpublished, though, from what I read. Um, well, like I said, there's some debate. Oh, okay. Since then, Subby has gone through more phases than we can count, and we'll take a look at eight of them, starting with his first Silver Age appearance in Marvel Comics. That's right, and his first appearance, he met the FF in Fantastic Four. Number four from Marvel was 1961. This is written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby. You may have heard of those guys. Here is your setup. The Human Torch and the Thing got into an argument after the Torch was the hero of issue three. He fought off the Miracle Man, not that one, and his monster. <laughs> the thing gave Johnny a piece of his mind afterwards, and Johnny quit the team. Now he's hiding out, working on race car engines with his buddies. But when the thing finds him, he heads for the Bowery, where he meets a homeless Namor who can't remember who he is. Johnny helps Namor get his memory back by throwing him in the ocean, where he discovers Atlantis has been leveled by human atomic testing. Apparently, Right off the coast of New York, <laughs> I guess. 
So of course, There's a lot. You know, there are a lot of things that will you know evolve yeah. over time. So of course, he comes out of the water looking for vengeance. Namor wakes Giganto, a whale with arms and feet <laughs> that attacks New York. It's the it's the whale that walks like a man. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's bigger than a whale. It's a monster. It's legitimately like a kaiju monster. Now we don't learn a whole lot about Namor here, other than. He's strong enough to take on the thing, and he's got a mad on for humanity after they trashed Atlantis. All the character beats are here for the Namor that we know today, though. He's mad at humanity. He has a thing for Sue Richards. He's kind of an unreasonable jerk. At this point, Stan and Jack were still feeling out not just how the FF would work, but the whole Marvel U. It's kind of fun. It, there's script in the margins warning readers about the coming of the Hulk. It's like, yeah. who is the Incredible Hulk? You're not ready for the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> The thing is kind of molten looking still at this time instead of Rocky. And Sue is definitely just a damsel in distress. She even offers to marry Namor to get him to stop attacking New York. <laughs> this is about as early as you can get in Marvel history. And while it's not Namor's first appearance, it's definitely closer to the Namor we know today than what we got in Marvel Comics number one. That one was interesting. I'll say that. <laughs> This story is silly. Yeah. The thing hates Johnny and basically tries to kill him. Johnny and his teen buddies talk through a Stanley filter. They don't exactly sound like kids, but you know, Sue can't stop crying because her brother is gone. And the main thing that makes Namor stop fighting is he's got a soft spot for blondes. You know, <laughs> if you're a Marvel fan, this is irresistible stuff. It's history. And it's the first appearance of Namor as we would come to love him. You can't not give this a buy it it's just it's too formative it's too perfect it's too silly it's just a blast yeah i mean it's great fun it, like it's so fun to read even with all the silliness yeah. you know it, it, it like if i had if i was a kid when this hit the stands i would like i would have lost my mind oh for sure and can we just address the fact that johnny is the world's most competent flamethrower hairstylist well not just that he can weld he can cut people's hair. He can do all kinds of stuff with his phone. Yeah, hair. what can't he do uh, <laughs> as the human torch? Um, the Submariner's shorts are red, which yeah. is a choice. Um, and I'm not sure if that is an effect of the modern coloring in the version we read or what, but I kind of think it's not. I think they probably tried to stick to what was there. I think, yeah, um, they went with the red pants at first, and this is very much flat top. Very flat yeah. top submariner. I mean, Later it, on, we're going to see him. Definitely, yeah. He'll be slicked it's back with the widow's peak and everything, you know. Slightly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little bit less hammerhead. Uh, yeah. Um, I like the. Uh, I like that this is like Kirby um, kind of working out what the thing would be because he's not quite the mud man. Yeah. He's like a transitional uh, in between, in between the mud man and the rock man. He's still transforming um, back and forth, too. Yeah, which was wild. Yeah. I didn't I, I didn't remember that that was a thing. Um, but yes, of course, you have to you have to give this a buy. It's it's so much fun. And as Namor appearances go, like there are better. But like this is likely going to be the first one, the earliest one. Yeah. And it's all here. Like want all the, to read all the beats for the character. They're, they're basically yeah. all here. So everything we're, we're going to read like three more issues that play off stuff directly from this. 
and yeah. try to yeah. incorporate stuff from Marvel yeah. Comics, number one. Uh, it's true. It's true. I mean, these are the building blocks of the literally the building blocks of the Marvel Universe. I, uh, I know we just uh, talked about Namor's first Silver Age appearance, but uh, let's talk about it again. OK, <laughs> the next first appearance. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is in Prince Namor, comma, the Submariner, number one. I'm, you look, I'm not going to say that it's Marvel every time. It's Marvel. You know it's Marvel. Sure. The year was 1967. This one's written by Roy Thomas with art by John Buscema. Here is your solicit, courtesy of MyComicShop.com. Imperious Rex, witness the startling origin of Prince Namor. Plus, how can the scion of Atlantis defeat a foe who can read his thoughts and knows his every move before he does? Once upon a time. Comic companies used to use one series to launch another. They still kind of sort of do that today, but now it's more like the road to whatever, you know? Right. But back then, if you didn't read the final issue of book X, good luck understanding what's going on in book Y. That's what's happened to both Iron Man and the Submariner, who had previous starring roles in Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish, respectively before appearing together in an Iron Man Submariner team-up one-shot. Which brings us to Prince Namor number one, a brand new series that picks up from the cliffhanger of another one. But writer Roy Thomas makes it pretty easy to catch up with what's happening before spinning into a new story. Or, you know, like we said, maybe it's an old story, considering it features both the secret origin of Namor's parentage and a recreation, not a reprint, of his first post-Golden Age appearance in Fantastic Four number four. The only other place I've ever seen this villain destiny, not that one, is the Marvel handbook. Uh, And he seems pretty lame, to be honest, which is bad news for him because Namor wakes from his magical memory tour, mad as hell and out for blood. Yep. Imperious Rex. Real quick. The art. What does Imperious Rex mean it's like a battle cry i don't know it's a latin there's it's a latin words it's real it's real latin rex means king oh rex means king it Uh, literally translates to emperor emperor king like he's basically screaming emperor king (laughs) i mean sure you know i guess you know he's the avenging son he's the king of atlantis he's got a lot of nicknames nicknames. it'd be like if joe biden kicked the door in was like the president and then punched you (laughs) el presidente it would be in a different language el presidente yeah (laughs) the art by the legendary big john bushima is absolutely incredible proving he's on the short list of artists with the goods to redraw jack kirby yeah Prince Namor, the Submariner number one, might draw a lot of its content from other stories, but it serves as a great primer for the Avenging Sons future stories, and it looks great. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this is wild, and we're going to bump into this again, but they're trying to sort of sew a lot of Namor's origin stuff into the Marvel Universe at this point. And, and like, it's been a few years, 1967, you know, they've been around for a little while now, but they hadn't really fleshed anything out yet. So Roy Thomas gets to build a bit of the origin based on like stuff from timely stuff based on the fantastic four stuff. They're just bringing it all together. And like, we're going to sing a lot more of his mom and King Thakor who's here. 
like dressed the same exact way to tell you the truth yeah. like this was the <laughs> look it. for a while they were all kind of prince valiant looking the characters. atlanteans are fashion victims for sure oh yeah um, now i don't know it's the same at dc dc atlanteans have horrid fashion sense yeah, like horrid. there's no way you're swimming around in this stuff to the list of things that uh, black scorpion <laughs> complains about being underwater yeah uh, I don't know much about his stories in like Tales to Astonish or or the later issues of Fantastic Four, but I am pretty sure that this is the first time they gave him like this is where his mom and dad came from. Yeah, yes, like, I, I think this is the first um, appearance of like we've heard tale of his parents. We know he's of human. Like pain. we knew he was half human. Human right? dad, who was Mackenzie, is the last name of his dad's like Hank Mackenzie yeah, or yeah. something. And Princess Fenn, who is Indi- mom. Indiana Mackenzie. But he this is the first of... time we see mom meet yeah. dad. Now, we're going to see it again. But first, I want to give this book a buy it. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you what. what. Big John Bushima drawing the destruction of Atlantis. Those guys look upset. <laughs> like, it is well, yeah, bad. And, you and they're dang. all screaming. They're like, where is our prince? In our time of need. Like, we are in such pain. <laughs> it's great, man. Huge buy it. This is so fun. Oh, man, we're back to the flat top. Yeah, this was still flat top Submariner. We're going to jump to 1988 for this next book. Keep in mind, after this Submariner book got canceled in like 1974, he was one of the only Marvel heroes that literally did not have any ongoing series efforts they just didn't try again it wasn't until roy and dan thomas came back and brought us the saga of the submariner number one in 1988 with art by rich buckler this book was sort of to put it all together basically they went back and in the back matter they have a big interview with bill everett the creator and roy thomas just gushes about how much he loves the character of Namor the Submariner because it gives them a chance to do what Roy Thomas does best. And what does Roy Thomas love telling? Barbarian stories. He loves swords and sorcery. He loves fantasy. He's the guy that brought Conan to Marvel. Yeah, he loves barbarians. And this was his chance. Like Atlantis is basically a sword and underwater sword and sorcery place. You know, it's a camel. Now look, point of order. I just want to be real clear before we start getting into the nitty gritty. The 1967 John Bushima uh, Submariner has given up the flat top for a nice, perfectly curved dome head. Yeah, well, it's okay. in Saga of the Submariner that it goes back to being like flat top hammerhead yes, style. Because they wanted to do the original Bill Everett looking yeah. Submariner is what they're trying to oh, do. And they, and they did it. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> In the previous issue, uh, this pardon me, this is the Saga of the Submariner number two. I chose this one because this is where we really meet Namor. In the previous issue, we get a full history of Atlantis that literally starts millions of years ago. And it travels all the way to Namor's mother, Princess Fenn, meeting his father, Captain Leonard Mackenzie, which we also just saw in the book that you reviewed. Now, they flesh it out a little more here. This whole plan is all Roy and Dan Thomas going, this is the definitive origin of Namor. In this issue, we meet young Namor finding his way in Atlantean society where everyone else has blue skin. Namor is, of course, pink. 
He is befriended by his cousin, Namora, and pursued romantically by Dorma, who's kind of a weirdo, by the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's me, Dorma. Dorma, who adores you. Like, whoa, settle down, babe. <laughs> Easy, Dorma. Pump the brakes. While walking on an ice floe with his mother, we learn how Namor found out he could breathe above water. He recounts being trapped uh, on the ice floe and learning, oh, I can hang out here for a long time. That's not so bad. Then the ice cracks and collapses, and we get to see the first time Namor's wings on his ankles appeared, and he found out he could fly. I guess this is where we discover that Namor is a mutant. More on that later. Look, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that here in a, in a minute or two, and it's going to be controversial, yes. and I'm just apologizing in advance. It is what it is, okay? All we can do is go with what they give us, Joe, all right? Yep. No, it's true. Not everyone accepted Namor, of course, due to his pink skin. His cousin and friend, Brah, feels he should be next in line. I have no idea how to say it. B-Y-R. I think B-R-A-H. Like, you don't have to sound like you're a caveman. Not everyone accepted Namor due to his pink skin. His cousin and friend Bira feels he should be next in line when Emperor Thakor passes. And when Namor mistakenly kills two surface dwellers in diving suits, thinking they're robots or automatons, Bira convinces Thakor that Namor should be the chosen one to lead the attack on the surface dwellers. There's a whole prophecy behind it. It's like, they've always hated the surface dwellers. They've always been kind of jerks. We've just been waiting for the right guy to do it. It should be Namor, right? This creative team was building an epic history for both Namor and Atlantis. They worked off of Namor creator Bill Everett's notes, even, to flesh out this character's origin. The killing of the two divers was a retelling of a story from Namor's first appearance in Marvel Comics number one. They also used stories from Submariner Comics 36 through 42 to flesh out some of the adventures of young Namor, you know, like how he learned he could breathe on land, how he got his ankle wings. In the back matter, Roy Thomas writes about meeting Namor creator Bill Everett and how important writing this book and fleshing out Namor's origin and history was to this entire creative team. Buckler is pretty amazing on art, although some of the design of the Atlanteans doesn't make much sense for life underwater, but he Not is going off the stuff that came before, right? He draws King Thakor exactly like he was drawn in that. Like, there's no reason why one. Namora should have a cape. No, there's no reason King Thakor should be in a robe, <laughs> like an underwater yeah. robe. <laughs> yeah. His his panels are detailed and packed full of ocean creatures, but it's his action scenes where his pencils really shine. There's a scene where. Namor is like super mad at a Nazi U-boat and he like swims up really fast and grabs a propeller and just stops it in midwater. Oh, it's awesome. Namor's mom and his future main squeeze, Dorma, do look a little too much alike, but maybe that's why Namor falls in love with Dorma. I don't know. <laughs> I read the first two issues of this mini, but I seriously plan to read the rest for sure. This is a sprawling retelling of Namor's origin playing off his first appearances and weaving them into the Marvel continuity of the 80s. I am giving this a buy it. This was badass. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, Rich Buckler, first of all, 
Rich Buckler is uh, somebody that does not get enough love from dudes that aren't old school comic fans. He, Rich Buckler is a legend, like a legitimate comics legend yeah. from the 70s. He's and the 80s. guy we just gushed about on that Nightmare on Elm Street magazine. You he reminded that me. Nightmare I Elm totally magazine. forgot. He co-created Deathlock. Uh, like he's he had runs on FF. He's drawn everything. Yeah. He's been all over Marvel and DC. He's done. He's drawn nearly every character. Uh, that Marvel and DC had going at the time. He is just a phenomenal talent um, who sadly is no longer with us. But um, yeah, this book is gorgeous. This book is gorgeous. Um, the Atlanteans, as I said, they remain complete fashion victims. They are like they are dead to this crime. Um, and why does this guy have a gun? What what are you shooting under there, guy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but to be uh, fair, this is stuff that was drawn beforehand. Like this is what the no, it's true. look it's like. True. You know? Um, I mean, and maybe it's a spear gun. I don't know. Maybe it shoots darts. Who knows? Underwater but, bullets, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Harpoon. I don't know. It could be all kinds of things. But yeah, no. This um, this comic is is fantastic, and now it is very. Um, it's very dense, you know, it's very like it's a lengthy history. Yeah. It's a saga. It's in the title uh, and it's a like it's a 12 issue saga. So they knew what they were doing, like they had it plotted out from beginning to end. So it's just nonstop. Like here is everything you ever wanted to know about Marvel's Atlantis. But oh, yeah, too afraid to ask. It's a definitive Atlantis and Namor origin. And to be perfectly fair to that idea. DC did the exact same thing when they hired Peter David to do the Atlantis Chronicles in the nineties. And yeah. that book is great. And yeah, it's, this is a really fun read and the art is, I can't say enough about it. It's a huge buy it. I, I think I thought this was great. I didn't, I, I had never actually looked at this before today. I've seen the covers obviously, but I, I've never read it before today. I wasn't even I aware definitely, of it. I, I wasn't even aware this was a thing. This is like a forgotten Namor gem. Like if you love Namor and you haven't read this, you don't know nothing, man. Go pick this up. This is amazing. Like there, there's a scene. Uh, there is a scene of Namor flying around over the mountaintops right after his mom discovers his ankle wings that Marvel used to use in advertising. They used to use it in like subscription ads like, hey, kids, subscribe to these comics or whatever. And like that, that image is burned into my brain. I had no idea what it was from in here. And here it is right here. It's, nice. That's so awesome. Nice. Yeah, I love this. Buy it. When you've written as many comics as Roy Thomas has, you just start throwing words together joined by hyphens. This title has the most hyphens of any <laughs> comic book title I have ever read. It really does. <laughs> no less than four right on the cover. Well, it's got it's got three hyphens, which is a lot. Four. Uh, four Giant size, title. super villain, team up, and then Submariner is also hyphenated. Oh, but that's not in the title. That's not the title. Well, no, but it's on the cover, I guess. It's on the cover, yeah. yeah. Uh, as Matt said, I am talking about Giant Size Supervillain Team Up number one from 1974. This is also written by Roy Thomas. Uh, and again, art by my guy, John Buscema. Here's your solicit, courtesy of mycomicshop.com. They do good work over there writing these little write ups. 
Following his defeat in Fantastic Four number 144, Doctor Doom and the Submariner duke it out in the Atlantic Ocean. This issue includes reprints of Submariner number 20 and Marvel Superheroes number 20. The two giant-sized supervillain team-up issues, this one and the next one, precede the supervillain team-up ongoing series, which premiered in August of 1975. So there's a little background for you if you've never heard of the supervillain team-up title. Now, this is a weird one, and it's kind of hard to review since it's got like 40 pages of reprints, but it does set up Namor's next regular gig as one of the stars of supervillain team-up. Rascally Roy Thomas writes the main story as well as both reprints, along with art once again by the mighty John Buscema and Larry Stands My Brother Lieber and Frank Giacoya. Because this comic features two of the most bombastic characters in Marvel's library, the two of them proceed to beat the shit out of each other while trying to form an alliance. And screaming. And, they scream through the entire yes, book. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that is in between misty watercolor memories of some of their previous team-up attempts, not necessarily with each other, but in one case with each other. Dr. Doom's lost love, Valeria, makes a flashback appearance. Don't worry, though. She'll be back in about 30 or so years, so Vic can turn her into a magical skin suit. <laughs> in the end, Doom tells Namor to kick rocks. But the Submariner is still convinced that they'll soon be the best of pals. The story in this issue is just bonkers, made crazier by the integration of the reprints into the narrative. Like, they'll be fighting, and then they'll pause to talk, and then Namor will go, you know what, that kind of reminds me of a time when this happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then you get 20 pages of, you know, Namor and Doctor Doom fighting again, but in a different comic. My favorite part is during the first reprint where Doom orders his servants to cut off all sources of water from the castle to keep Namor away from the source of his power, which includes dumping out all of the water pitchers and throwing away all of the ice cubes. Nobody drinks anything. <laughs> all right? Like, you want something? We've got a whole fridge of RC Cola, but that is it. <laughs> no water. <laughs> IC Cola does not energize him. It's fine. The art, for the most part, the John Buscema parts, is great, obviously. The second reprint is rough, though, with uh, Larry Lieber and yeah. Giacoya doing a poor Jack Kirby impression. It's, it just doesn't look good. Yeah. Marvel's weird trend of using one book and or reprints to launch another continued well into the 70s, which makes giant size supervillain team-up number one tough to recommend. But it's kind of fun to see how all these classic series got their start. I'm giving this one a skim it because it is mostly reprints. I mean, it is mostly reprints and it's an artifact, a ridiculous artifact. Like you said, right? I mean, it's just basically like, hey, how can we sell this comic book again? <laughs> More or right, less. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, at yeah, the same sure. time, I'm glad you picked this because this is we get to see Namor as a villain. This is bad guy Namor. Like, no question. He's not- I just think it's hilarious that they call it supervillain team up. But at the end of it, Doom is still like, F- you name. <laughs> well, I think the lesson we learn here is like, it doesn't pay to be a supervillain. And there are team. Yeah, don't no, that's work, so true. You know? So true. But this yeah, is bad true. guy. Straight up bad guy. Namor. like he would go back and forth. Yes, we call him the first Marvel's first antihero. But there was a long time where he was just a straight up villain. And honestly, yep. 
that John Mishima outfit with the deep V and the weird like, I love that costume arm so wings. Much. It is it is the coolest Namor costume ever. No, it is. It's legit the best. It's base, so best rad. Like, like Speedo Namor, whatever. You know, like I'm fine with it. He still looks like a badass. I like how light he is. I, I do kind of like his modern look, which is sort of a take on that blue and yeah. yellow. Yeah. Yeah. But. No, I dig it too. But man, the one with the wings, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> rad. Totally rad. Now, I'm going to give this a skimming as well because it is just a cheap ploy for Marvel to tape together some short stories and sell you a great big thick comic book. Still, it's a fun look at Namor as a villain. Exhausted from many sleepless hours, the Lady Dorma soon falls into deep slumber, unaware that her prince is gone. I'm going to jump way forward in time now for a different kind of Submariner story. This is Namor number one from 2003. No subtitles, just Namor. Just plain old Namor. There you go. This is written by, I should say, the story is by Bill Jameis, and it's written by Andy Watson. Watson is a name you might not recognize. He was um, a bit of an, he was an Oni creator. He wrote Skeleton Key, Breakfast Afternoon, yeah. Slow News Day, with art by Salvador LaRocca. Now, I know... Andy Watson, uh, an indie darling in the yes. early 2000s. Now, I know this Namor book was part of some kind of like marvel tsunami. push at the time was it tsunami is that what it was tsunami was the oh. imprint and it was the same imprint that launched uh things like oh i mean they all failed except for runaways right but it was Run like it was runaways younger sort of like tsunami. indie creators sort of taking shots at stuff well right? and they were also like younger right youth right. oriented sort of except for for some reason, there was a Daniel Way had a Venom comic. Oh, that's right. Uh, as part of this imprint, that was sort of like John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Um. But uh. I but most not, of the books were. I could not remember life of me. Like what it was. Yeah. That, okay. Tsunami. Uh. Gotcha. So yeah, this book, Venom, Runaways, and then um, there was also Scotty Young's Human Torch. Oh, that's right. A very young. Which Scotty was like young. one of the first, uh, earliest solo Scotty Young things yeah. I've ever saw. I ever saw. It was like their first Young Guns, basically. <laughs> and I feel like there may have been one more, like New Mutants, maybe. Like when they relaunched New Mutants before it re before it got rebranded as New X Men with X twenty three. Hold on, let's just look. Marvel Comics Tsunami. Your books were there was a Human Torch book, Inhumans, which was the Jay Lee and. Uh, uh, no, that was Marvel Knights. This is listed here under Tsunami. It started. That, then that's a different book. I do remember there being an Inhumans book. Yeah, there was. Well, they've got a Jay Lee cover is what they're showing me. But yeah, there was an Inhumans book. Mystique. Oh, Namor. Mystique, that was it. That was the Sentinel. One. That one was fun. I like oh, that. Sentinel was good. Yeah. The Kidness Sentinel. Venom. There was a New Mutants book. Yeah. New, New Mutants Academy X. Runaways. Wolverine colon snicked. And Emma Frost also had a well, um, Wolverine. Oh, Emma Frost is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was bad. it's uh, it's got it's like young Emma Frost as a gossip girl style rich girl. Yeah, and it's no, and it's got the worst exploitative Greg Horn covers. It's oh, like, it's this terrible. Is a teenage terrible. Girl. All right, let's get back to Namor here. The tsunami Namor. This was Bill Jemis and Watson give us an updated look at Namor's youth when he first started venturing ashore and as a young naked kid meets the first blonde white girl that would steal his heart. <laughs> 
At the time, getting a creator like Andy Watson to write a Namor story was a wild choice for Marvel. But as we just discussed, Tsunami was a lot of younger creators that they brought in to maybe take different looks at a lot of these characters. Watson was an indie comics darling, and Namor had been through a lot of changes by 2003, but he had never been a lovesick emo kid. <laughs> we get a lot of naked kid Namor here, and I'm not talking about an infant. He is 10. Issue two, he comes back to meet the same girl that he meets on the beach as a naked child, and it's been six years. Both kids are 16, which means Namor is a naked 10-year-old on the beach in this issue, which is a choice, I guess. <laughs> LaRocca's art is magical. He's coming off an X-Men run at the top of his fame, and here he softened his line a bit to tell an almost fairy tale version of Namor's youth. I remember making fun of this comic when it came out, but it is too. it's much better than I recall. The story hits all the beats of Namor not fitting in with Atlantean kids. His grandfather Thakor is here. He's not wearing the robe anymore. He looks more like an Atlantean. There's a time jump where we begin to see teenage Namor coming into his powers and almost trying to hide them from the other kids a little bit, sort of like a young Clark Kent. The comic was much more charming than I remember, and I will not give Bill Jemis the credit. Watson no. writes a very relatable young Namor, and the Roka's art brings it all home. This is very much Speedo Namor, right? Because he's a younger guy, but he's got some hair. He doesn't have the flat top. He's looking pretty good. This is a sexy Namor. I'm giving this a buy it. I mean, don't get me wrong, like 16-year-old Namor. He can get it. He's a good he looking a kid. Fox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's not wearing a Speedo. That's more like a loincloth that's just kind of cinched up a little bit. Yeah. It's like a pocket um, that holds his junk. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah exactly. It's uh, like a banana hammock. Um, this is before Salvador La Roca started to do what he does. They now. get weird. Yeah. And this art is really wonderful. And I don't understand like why. Why has he made the choice to do the things he does now? He, because look at what he's capable of. I know. It's, it's just, and, he and evolved, this isn't Joe, just, just like Frank Miller. This isn't, <laughs> he yeah, evolved. Yes. Yeah. And this isn't just good looking for 2003 or whatever. This is beautiful. This yeah. comic book is gorgeous. Um, and I hated this at the time. I 100% I agree. And I think it was because they were, this was back when I was like, they're changing the continuity. Blah, or it was supposed to be an, or it was out of continuity or something. I wasn't, I was mad at it, but I reread this. It's great. It's really good. It's great. And despite Bill Jemis, who is a terrible writer. Yeah. Yeah. This is a buy it. This was, this was a wonderful comic. Um, now just before we move on the name, uh, the inhumans 2003 series, Sean McKeever. Do you remember Sean McKeever? Yeah. yeah. The writer, um, he wrote it. And uh, it was drawn by Matthew Clark, who I think has passed away. Um, oh, really? Yeah. But um, it was, again, fitting in with the tsunami line. It was about, like, the next generation of kids going through terrogenesis. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, new mutants, but for the inhumans. Yeah, that's right. And it had these, like, very, um, like, intimidating-looking covers, which if I don't know why they would appeal to kids, but... Uh, yeah, Tsunami. They, you know what? They had more hits than misses. I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
I kept all of my reviews in the far, far distant past. So let's jump back in time to Namor, the Submariner, number 10. Uh, you may have noticed that up until this point, um, most of my reviews feature some combination of the words Namor, the, and Submariner. Yeah. They just keep jumbling them around. You can't get away At from least them. The first, one, the first one had the word Prince in it. This one does not. This is from 1990. It's written and drawn by John Byrne. Now, I picked number 10 because, uh, well, you'll see. Uh, number one was kind of a bad fit because it only barely sets up the premise, um, and I wanted to really get into it. Here is your solicit, again, courtesy of mycomicshop.com. Thank you, guys. Prince Namor heads to Germany and confronts his enemies from the past. Meanwhile, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing are startled to discover that their friend Danny Rand has seemingly returned from the grave. Spoiler, it's not Danny. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> uh, and again, like the last comicshop.com uh, solicit, here is your publication note. Iron Fist was murdered by Captain Hero in the series finale of Power Man and Iron Fist. That was issue 125. Uh, that would have been in the mid-80s. And then they end with... Or was he? Now, to be fair, <laughs> Captain Hero did not mean to kill Iron Fist. He didn't know how powerful he was. <laughs> Look, accidental murder, accidental. He was, trying to like, he was trying to like, snap out of it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Just like slap sure, him silly yeah. and he killed him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it happens. In the early 90s, nothing was more buzzworthy and sure to get the cool teens with a Z talking like, quote, capital T, capital E, the environment, end quote. Not that it did the world a damn bit of good, but efforts to protect or improve the planet were everywhere at the time. Even our comic books, more specifically Marvel comic books, circa 1990 and 1991. And so it was that Namor, the on again, off again enemy of the surface world slash internationally known superhero, found himself the CEO of Oracle Inc., a corporation dedicated to fighting the enemies of the environment. This issue is also a love letter to Bill Everett, Oracle. The Oracle was also the name of the ship that Namor's dad captained. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, well, as shown in Prince Namor number one. Of course, that's what he named his corporation. Though. That's sweet. There is so much going on in this issue, and that's why I picked it. First off, Namor's ankle wings have been burnt off following a battle with a walking environmental disaster called Sludge. With that's a sludge with a J S L U J sludge. Yeah, who turned out to be a kid whose parents were scientists that test like did some weird tests they did on him. Terrible <laughs> tests on him. Yeah, he was a walking like atomic nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so now Namor flies into battle on his private jet instead. Also, and this is the thing I found the most wild: Namor and Captain America are both very suspicious of the German reunification following the fall of the Berlin Wall. Because the last time Germany was able to amass more power, it led to the rise of the Third Reich and the beginning of World War II. I mean, can you blame them, though? Like, this is Namor and Cap. I, no, I get it. And I had no idea that, that, that this was even a thing people were concerned about back in the 90s. I'm still not sure if it ever really was a thing that bothered people I, in the 90s. I think there were a lot of people that were like, is this a great idea? You know, like, kind of kick their head a little bit. I mean, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I, but I have never, lit I've literally never heard of that idea before now that people were like, Oh, yikes. Maybe not. There's also Namor's secretly evil ally and his lovelorn sister. Who's rethinking her role in this grand scheme. The very unfortunate looking Mars twins. Now in their defense, in this issue, 
they look better than they have in the previous nine issues. If you look at them in the previous nine issues, they are grotesque nightmares. They look like the Joker without the makeup. And as if that weren't enough, a very not right Iron Fist is in the middle of returning from the dead, and he kicks Misty Knight's ass to prove his identity. It's all a trick, though, because, spoilers, it's actually the Super Scroll in disguise. hey <laughs> Don't worry, though. Danny does come back for real before the storyline is over. I had randomly, like from a gas station three pack or something, Namor either 14 or 17. Um, So like this storyline, like pays off months later. Oh, yeah. Um, And like there's even some like there's a clue in here where he like Misty and Colleen come in and Danny is eating something very foul. Yeah. Like God, and what is that like, smell? What is that smell? Oh my God! It's like scrolls eat like it's, just it's scroll food, food I guess. or something. I don't know. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's shit. Uh, yeah. But like, what better way to prove his identity than ripping off, uh, you know, Misty Knight's arm? Yeah, he just <laughs> and then he holds the, the arm up and he's like, "You want some too?" And she's like, "No." <laughs> right? Yeah, he's like, "Get out of here, Colleen." I love it. Um, but yeah, so as I said, Danny does come back for real at the end of the storyline, so that's all good. Does Namor actually find Nazis after he gets to Germany? Yes. Is it because we should have left the Berlin Wall intact? That is not important <laughs> because they're trying to steal the Android human torches, synthetic blood. Had, did I not mention that? Oh, by the way, uh, this book has only 10 pages in so far. Uh, they are trying to use the human torches, synthetic blood to jumpstart a uh, warrior woman who is the wife of master man. And they are two like genetically en- engineered Nazi super right. soldiers. It is wild and it's fun and John Byrne's dialogue is weird as hell, but he's still doing great work at the drawing table in 1991. I would argue John Byrne still is still very good. It's just that he's softened a bit. I think he's great. I think he's still great here, but his style is a little is a lot less involved than what's going on. Okay, all right. Um, Here he's tackling pencils and very detailed inks and also the lettering. And the result is beautiful. The 90s Namor title is a weird little series that would only get weirder as it goes along. But what else would you expect from the creator of the sensational She-Hulk? I'm giving this a buy it. I I love this comic. I think it's great. Uh, It's a buy it for me, too. This is bonkers. (laughs) It's like they decided Namor's just going to, like, run a company and be a billionaire and fight ecological threats. Why the hell not, right? Not to mention the fact that, like, this is the series that gives us Jay Lee later on. Namor is mortally wounded. And this is later on the series. Namor's mortally wounded. And mom's like, Oh no, my son's going to die. And she's like, please Neptune help this guy out. He's super important. He's the ruler of all Atlantis. Neptune's like, sounds good, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make him super scary. And I'm going to give him a bunch of sharp points on his armor. And uh, here you can have your wings back too. But ding. <laughs> and he comes back. Yeah. The savage submariner drawn by a very young Jay Lee, who just basically draws him roaring all the time. <laughs> yeah. He's crazy. got long hair. Yeah. And you can see every single one of his ribs. It's, Dude, it's like a real nightmare. The most yeah. extreme 90s submariner 
ever. <laughs> yes. I loved For it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really is. No, this is a buy it. This and to be fair, the Savage Samir and stuff, that was not Burn. I can't remember who took over and wrote at that point. But yeah, no, Burn Burn wasn't on the Burn was for, gone. Jay Lee was the hit, and they were like, we gotta keep this book going, man. We've talked about Namor as a good guy, as a bad guy, as an anti-hero, and as a naked kid. But Joe Patrick, it is time to talk about Namor the X-Man. This is Namor, the first mutant, number one. Oh, I forgot to mention, on the cover of the 90s Namor series, very much like um, the 90s uh, Spider-Man books used to be like, the Marvel's funniest non-mutant superhero or whatever. Right. Under the title where it says Namor the Submariner, it says Marvel's first mutant. No, Marvel's mightiest mutant is what it says. But does it say Marvel's mightiest mutant? Marvel's mightiest. Oh, I thought it said mightiest and first. Yeah. It does. It says Marvel's first and mightiest mutant. Oh, really? Marvel's first and mightiest mutant. There you this has been around for a long now, time. I think now they, they mean first as in like in terms of them coming up with the idea of mutants. Suppose, Obviously, yeah. apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. Right. Let's not get any emails, emails or voicemails. But this about is this. not new business. All right. But, I mean, 1991, we're talking 31 years ago. Marvel is like, yes, Namor is the mutant. Yeah. So they're playing I'm off. Sorry. I also think it's stupid, but it is what it is. It is what it is. All we can go is with what they give us. And this, yeah. this is Namor the First Mutant, number one from Marvel 2010. It's written by Stuart Moore with art by Ariel Olivetti. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. Yeah, we will. <laughs> Boy. Here's your setup. Prince Namor, the Submariner, Lord of the Ocean. This isn't the set. This is actually from the first page. I, I borrowed this, so. This is your front matter. I mean, you know, this book probably would have had a solicit. You could have yeah. looked up, right? I couldn't find it. Prince right. Namor, the Submariner, Lord of the Ocean, and former ruler of the recently destroyed underwater city of Atlantis. As a Again. man. Yeah, that's all Atlantis does is just get totally crapped on constantly. <laughs> is a man torn between two worlds, conceived by a human father and an Atlantean mother of royal lineage. Namor was born a mutant with the abilities of flight, incredible strength, and impervious skin. Namor has always had a tense relationship with the surface world, but he recently joined the X-Men, hoping his presence would help bring mutants back from the brink of extinction. San Francisco and the X-Men's island home of Utopia are under attack by vampires in numbers far greater than their own. Even worse, they learn that Count Dracula has been overthrown and killed by his power-hungry son, Zerus. You know, Zerus Dracula. <laughs> Yeah, Zaris The yeah. X-Men have a desperate plan to send Namor to the deepest trenches of the ocean to retrieve Dracula's head from the Aquios, the race that spawned vampires, you know, just like in Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> the plan? Revive Dracula to battle his son, Zaris. Much to some of our listeners' chagrin, Namor wasn't just a mutant, but a card carrying x-man at this time of course he had a thing for emma frost she's skinny she's blonde she's white what's not to love right but first and foremost he was identifying as a mutant and helping them fight vamps this was a wild time for namor he was wearing a pantsuit with an x belt buckle and the deepest v-neck ever and a widow's peak that eddie munster would be jealous of this was like borderline old school misfits like <laughs> hairstyle it's nuts how sharp it is 
I actually kind of like this outfit, though. It's fine. It might not be a popular take, but I kind of liked Namor as an X-Man. It was cool to see them have a real heavy hitter on the team, and it made more sense than him being Avenger, in my opinion. Because, you know, he's been evil so many times. (laughs) And the X-Men, they have bad guys on the team all the time. Magneto, perfect example, you know? This issue definitely asked the reader to accept some new vampire lore, like having them come from the depths of the ocean, which, whatever, I suppose it's fine. The script isn't bad. Namor hasn't been around Atlantis, which is in shambles, and his Atlantean compatriots aren't thrilled when he shows up and tries to order them around. I like Moore's Namor, though. He's stern. He's kind of a jerk. But he has a cause, and he believes in it. Now, when the underwater vamps do show up, I kind of feel like Namor shouldn't have a problem with them. But they were doing a vamps attack thing, so they got to make the vamps badass, I guess. This was also a strange time for artist Ariel Olivetti, who was using a lot of digital effects in his art. His character work is very good, but the digital backgrounds make characters look like they're just floating in front of photographs at times. Yeah, these are definitely like it's bad. They look like picture. They look like photos with filters on them. Yeah, what what it looks like. The script has characters saying that I can't see my hand in front of my face in dark waters when the scene looks crystal clear. (laughs) I love Olivetti. This was not his best work. This is a really bad time for this artist. Namor's time as an X-Man was wild, but I admit I really liked him on the team. And even with the weird art, this book is much better than I remember it. I'm giving this a buy it. Story's really good. (sighs) It's silly, but it's good. You know, I mean, they had to make vampires more badass because realistically, if a bunch of vampires show up, I don't even think the X-Men have trouble with that, let alone Namor, who should just be like, get the Got it. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I mean, vampires have superpowers too, man. I'm not I, saying I, they don't. Namor goes toe to toe with the Hulk sometimes. He could take a vampire. It depends on the X Men that you have laying around. Sure. You know what I mean, yeah. Like if Skin shows up, maybe he's in trouble. Yeah. It's like I don't like I, like Jubilee. Obviously, you right. know, fireworks aren't going to cut it. What's Gold Balls uh, going to do? Right. I mean, come on. Right. Like, hey, here's an egg. Here's an egg. I hope it doesn't hatch on you. You know. Um. I don't know. Uh, fine. Yes, it's a buy it. It is better than I remembered. It's not bad. I hated, <laughs> I hated, I hated this whole vampire thing um, because uh, this storyline gave us stupid, sexy Dracula. Yeah. And I was like, there's not a damn thing wrong with the Gene Cole and Dracula. Why we got to make Dracula hot? That's yeah. the dumbest thing. I did like the idea, though, that like his son overthrew things and shook everything up. And like, look, while Dracula yeah. is a bad guy, Dracula also knows like, I want to play by the rules. I don't want to mess stuff yeah. up. Whereas Zeris right. was like, that we should take over the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I'm, I'm much, I'm, I'm much happier with the status of vampires now where, um, you know, Dracula still kind of, he doesn't look like the Gene Colan Dracula anymore because like, that's obviously based on like a movie look, a Christopher Lee kind of thing. Um, uh, no, no, I know not exactly Christopher Lee, but that sort of thing, you know, where it's like, Say, feathered back hair. I think and, you Gene Colan really put his own stamp on Dracula. 
Yes, I know, but you know what I'm like. I'm trying to like a much more Hollywood style look to to that character. Um, whereas Dracula now kind of looks like sexy Dracula, but he's old and decrepit, so he's got the long white hair, but he looks he's just like Nyeh. yeah. <laughs> and I, I like that. I like that. Um, but about this book, it is better than I recalled, though I hated this storyline at the time. And as Matt and I discovered during the course of planning for this episode. What year did this come out? 2010? 2010, yes. Uh, for 12 years, I blamed this vampire storyline on Frank Thierry when really it was Victor Gishler's fault. Yeah, Victor Gishler created Zara. Uh, so this is my public apology to Frank Thierry. Um, I'm going to give this a buy it because, yeah, it's not it's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. The art is the biggest um, problem. The art's weird. And even but like the backgrounds are bad, but the foregrounds are great. Yeah. So, it, but like, how do you reconcile that? that? You have to decide whether or not it it's almost a makes deal it breaker. worse, <laughs> right? I guess like, yeah. it stands out so badly. Like, I suppose. Why it's did they like, look yeah, at this and like, went, "Neat, yeah, that looks really neat, Ariel." It's keep like doing it. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the first few years of Ariel Olivetti discovering Photoshop. Yeah, because that's clearly what's going on here. But yes, I have to admit, I liked this more than I did the first time around. Imperious Rex! <laughs> Our final comic of the week is not even a Namor comic at all, but it does feature Namor and also one of the bravest fashion choices that young Namorita would ever make. I'm talking about The New Warriors number 14 from 1991. It's written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Mark Begley. Here's your solicit. This is courtesy of Marvel.com. Deep below the ocean's surface, Namorita does battle with the sea urchin. Will Namor's cousin be able to stand alone against her greatest foe yet? Submariner and Darkhawk guest star. We already touched on how the popularity of the environment affected Namor, so when it came time for his young cousin Namorita to take the spotlight, that spotlight shifted a little bit over to the left to the protection of cultural artifacts with just a dash of the environment for flavor. Following a classic First meeting fight, then team up with Darkhawk. Nita and Speedball attempt to track a boat full of smugglers. But once she tries to subdue the group, Namorita is savagely beaten and cast up overboard by an unscrupulous underwater plunderer nicknamed the Sea Urchin. After her cousin nurses her back to consciousness, Nita dons a suit of deadly Atlantean battle armor with one thing on her mind. Vengeance. And also... Ouch, these spikes hurt. And also, why does it only have one leg? (laughs) This sort of current events-tinged story was very common to Fabian Nassier's run on The New Warriors, which also featured themes like gang violence, environmental terrorism, and war. It's a really great story. It's full of Nicieza's trademark wit. Some of the quips do seem outdated. Oh, God. But the issue... You think? (laughs) A little bit. But uh, but look... uh, how can it not, you know, but it does have a lot of great moments like Darkhawk and Speedball bonding over the weirdness of their lives as young superheroes and name Marita showing sea urchin the colossal error of wronging a submariner. Ironically, it's Namor that tries to be the voice of reason that keeps Nita from seeking sea urchin's blood as this came out at a time where his reputation for being Atlantis's avenging son took a backseat to a calmer temperament. This issue, uh, for those keeping track with dates, this would have come out about a year after 
uh, the um, Namor issue I reviewed. Or he's still flying around on jet planes. This issue also... Hmm, this issue is also the first time I remember Atlantis being likened to indigenous culture. Uh, which is interesting because that's what they're doing in the upcoming Wakanda Forever movie. Mark Bagley, who I just dunked on last week, is nearing his artistic peak here, delivering dynamic action and smart layouts, a little bit of a anatomic weirdness, and some truly questionable yeah. uh, Joe, uh, character designs. Joe, let's talk about that for a second, okay? The armor is dumb. I know I you it. like Mark Bagley, and I appreciate Mark Bagley, too. I don't think this is real good Mark Bagley, and it's not just the completely horrific design no, this is real. this is armor. good mark bagley it is a bad design for the armor but this I, is good mark bagley i don't love it i don't think this is great mark bagley and I, look well, I you think you ever loved mark you bagley. finish your thing <laughs> new warriors 14 is an exciting and thought-provoking issue to me it still holds up over 30 years later i'm giving you a buy it okay so we wanted to highlight namorita here and who is the cousin of Namor, who's a total badass. Namorita is a complete badass. She's the badass. cousin of Namor and actually a clone of Namora. It's a whole thing. Don't ask. Great. We choose to introduce a character named Sea Urchin, who is basically a dude in a big red robot suit, right? He's a deep sea artifact. But his name isn't diver. just Sea Urchin. He's a Native American. His real name is Jeremy Swimming Bear, because we got to double down on the sea thing, right? <laughs> okay. The the suit is big and dumb looking. There's no way it gets around real well underwater. And he kicks the shit out of Namorita. Like, beats her to a pulp. Just for the sake of the story, I guess. Namorita gets in the worst designed armor I've ever seen. I'm just going to say it. I think ever. Th this panel of her, it oh, is calm pink down. and blue and green. And it's got a bolo tie on the V-neck. It's got two little claws like Wolverine and spikes on one of the arm pads and a bird beak face. <laughs> like, I'm not making this up. You got to you got to see this. It is bad. Really bad. The story is fine. It's the new warriors doing new warriors stuff. I, I do not love this. I, I cannot give it any better than a skim it. And I was tempted. <laughs> To look at it and and just based on these designs alone, say, oh my god, so leave it. This is one of the ugliest comic books I've seen in a long time. <laughs> no, all right, now hold on. You are exaggerating. The design of the robot suit is bad. The design of the armor. The design of the robot suit is, is not bad. It's there, a deep. It's a deep sea diving suit full of technological gear. Okay, there's no way this guy whips Namorita wearing this, other than for the sake of the he, plot. He caught her off guard and okay. immediately incapacitated her. Okay. And there is some serious anatomical issues in here, too. It's there are some anatomical like, issues in here. I just don't think this looks like good Mark Bagley. Maybe he's coming into um, it, but it's not good looking nah, to me. I think you're wrong. I, I think you're wrong. That's fine, but I'm not going to argue. The best you. I can give this is a skim it. If you want to know more about these comics we just discussed, check out our show notes where you can find our links with more info on these books and our nude Namor fan fiction. He's not just a little kid anymore. And hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Joe, 
before we move on, we need to pick one of these Namor comics to enter the THN permanent collection. Which was your favorite? I think my favorite comic of the batch that I read was probably... I've been going back and forth because I kind of want to give it to the John Byrne Namor book just because it's so crazy. But it's not prototypical Namor, you know what I mean? I mean like whatever. Namor flying in a jet. It is going. It's a bold new direction for Namor, I'll say that. It's bold new direction. I think I'm going to give it to Saga of the Submariner. Yeah, you have to. I There's no <laughs> choice here. It's easy for me. This book was incredible. Just like we said, I'm not going to go back and hold the thing, but this is the biggest sprawlingest most amazing like atlantis namor origin ever told at marvel easily saga submariner number two i'm sure you nerds have feelings about subby so we'd love to hear from you what did you think of these comics what's your favorite namor book do you like namor at all let us know you know where to do it on our discord we talk about it all the damn time dry off and head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where the air fryer of Fraxix is hard at work crisping up all the delicious sea creatures we've brought home. Matt, while I check the prawns, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next Wednesday, November 16th. Sounds delicious. My pick for next week is Batman One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze. Number one from DC. It is $7.99. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Matteo Scalera. Here is your solicit. Going back to the Dark Knight's early days in Gotham City, Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson, face down the coldest winter Gotham City has ever seen. A winter so cold that Mr. Freeze, comma, Victor Freeze, comma, no longer needs his containment suit to survive. I I mean, like, we get it. We know who he is. (laughs) He is in an element where he can thrive. Robin empathizes with Mr. Freeze. All Freeze wants to do is save his wife, Nora, but Batman warns Robin not to give his empathy to Victor. He's a man who decided his own fate a long time ago, and he deserves none of our warmth. And this winter, he will show. Easy, Batman. And this winter, he will show his true wickedness and power. The powerhouse creative team of best-selling writer Jerry Duggan, who's working on X-Men, who worked on Deadpool, and he wrote Arkham Manor, and Matteo Scalera, who worked on White Knight Presents, Harley Quinn, and Black Science. He's worked on a lot more than that. Brings you Mr. Yeah, Freeze's but Black Science is kind of his claim to fame. Yeah. That, because that was a big deal in the book. Brings you Mr. Freeze's most frigid story yet. Now, I have not loved all of the one bad day retakes we're having on these characters, but I do love Jerry Duggan. And you know who I love even more? Matteo Scalera, man. And yes. I cannot wait to see Matteo Scalera draw a Batman story. And that may have been enough just to get me. But I trust Duggan, and I don't think Duggan is going to do what we've seen in a lot of these other ones where we're like, oh, you thought the Riddler was bad? Well, did you know he's even worse and he's responsible for everything and he's a murderer? Like, okay, take it easy. But I mean, isn't that kind of the premise, right? Where it's just like one bad day where it's just like the worst day the villains ever had. Well, this one, know. it sounds like there's playing on Mr. Freeze a little bit in the sense that it's like, look, he's a bad guy because he loved his wife. And he had this other stuff going on, but there is something to feel sorry for there. And Dick Grayson sees it. And I am here for those kind of Mr. Freeze stories. I like those. 
Do you remember the first story James Tinian the four ever wrote was Batman annual number one? Yeah. From the new from the new 52. Yeah, it was it was a Mr. Freeze story. And it's very good. And at the end, uh, they reveal now this is the new 52. So clearly we're retconning the retcon. But um, they reveal at the end that uh, Victor Freeze was actually just a kind of a creepy stalker and Nora was not his wife. Yeah. He was just some woman. Yeah. Uh, that he was, uh, crushing on or stalking or whatever. And, uh, that was like this big twist at the time. It was like, Ooh, look at the, look at the layers we're adding to Mr. Freeze. And at the time I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, that's, it was, really, yeah, it was cool. It was really good. <laughs> um, and, but now, you know, the, the far, the farther removed we are from it, the more I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like no let mr freeze be a tragic villain yeah and so i kind of I'm, I'm glad that they're kind of getting back to that but um yeah i love jerry duggan and mateo scalera both you are totally right i think this should be good or at least i hope it should be good my pick and i tried i tried so hard to fight it like i had three other things i'm like maybe it'll be this one maybe i'll make it this one but i couldn't i couldn't quit it it's star girl the lost children number one it's from dc it's 399 it's written by jeff johns with art by todd knock here is your solicit an epic teenage dc hero event brought to you by teen titans writer jeff johns and iconic young justice illustrator todd knock when stargirl of the justice society and green arrows ally red arrow discover a tragic teenage hero from the past has gone missing they set out to find him only to discover he's not the first teenage hero of the golden age to have vanished without a trace but where have they gone? Who are they? And what does the child minder want with them? Gross. Gross. Uh, so this week marked the release of the new golden age one shot from DC, which uh, basically sets up the return of the justice society of America. It is a time hopping adventure that weaves together all of this stuff uh, from the 40s all the way up to the 30, uh, the same era of the Legion, uh, 3022. And uh, the first appearance of the Justice Society of America of the Legion of Superheroes era. I'm still processing my thoughts on it. We'll <laughs> talk about it next week. Okay. But what it does uh, include is more information about uh, what was teased at the end of flashpoint beyond which is that there are 13 characters missing from the golden age like from time they've been stolen from time the new golden age had a bunch of who's who style handbook pages love it love it about the 13 missing characters and uh all of their like complete with first appearances and everything all the first appearances are fake. Those comics don't exist, but they sound legit. Like I was like, Oh, I didn't know that this character was real. And then I was like, Oh no, that's not a real comic. <laughs> it's really, it's really well done. This is following up on that. The 13 characters from the golden age, mostly kid sidekicks that have been erased from time. What happened to them? Where did they go? Star girls on the case. Okay. The THN Trade of the Week for next Wednesday is The Inkle Psychoverse, the hardcover. It's from Humanoids. It's $24.99. It's written by Mark Russell. He gets a lot of pub on this show with art by Yannick Paquette. Here's your solicit. 
with Alejandro Jodorowsky and Mobius's The Inkles set to be a major motion picture from acclaimed director Taika Waititi. Now is the time to explore the brand new shocking and explosive prequel to the legendary and best-selling Inkles saga. Prepare. Prepare to enter the Psychoverse, a realm made of pure potential and possibility known as the Psychoverse, has declared war on all material reality. And the Yikes. only ones who can save it are the deadly Meta Baron, the swashbuckling Kill Wolfhead, that's quite the name, and the bumbling detective, <laughs> John DeFool. Woo! <laughs> I plan on digging into the ankle. It's something I've, I've meant to do for a long it's, time. It's it's been on my list forever. Like yeah. it's just one of those things. It's like, it's boy, I should probably read gigantic, that. Gigantic, huge, sprawling universe created by a madman with incredible art. But Mark Russell's doing this. Yannick Petcat's incredible in art. This is a and it's a prequel. So hey, it's gonna set up a bunch of stuff. Perfect. Yeah. Great place to start. Of course, we want to know what you thought of our picks for this week and what you're excited to read. So hit us up on the one and only place you can reach THN on the Internet. Matt, where is it? It's our Discord. We've got a new comic section. You know what we talk about there, Joe? New comics? New comics. That's right. It's right in the name. You can't miss it. I was just kidding about it being the only place you can find us on the Internet, but it is the place we want you to go. It's the place to, to talk to us. It's a place to interact with us. That is it for THN 685 next week. We are back to reviewing new comics. If you want to rap about this week's episode, comics you are reading, full frontal, name or nudity, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following in our nerd news channel on that Discord we just mentioned, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN Cover to Cover. We do it on Saturdays at 10.30 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on Facebook kind of lame, right? But if you want to play along, you can join our Discord and learn how to chat or talk with us live and be on the show. And don't forget, we set you up with something to talk about. It's called the question of the week. That's right, Matt. This week's question is courtesy of Joe Reynolds, and he asked it, you guessed it, on our Discord. All right. Joe says, during the Agent Venom comic, Jack-O-Lantern was transformed from a boring knockoff goblin into a menacing and dangerous arch enemy for Venom. He was truly dangerous. Sadly, he fell out of use after the Agent Venom run and was killed off. The same run also had a great update to both the Fly and the Crime Master. I really love these small characters that have had their potential realized. What is your favorite character reinvention for a minor or unpopular character? I love it. I love it. Does Joe Reynolds, I love it too. Does George Reynolds speak British or something? What's this, this fave of you write? What's going on here? I may have typed it that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, or no, I probably cut and pasted it. So he maybe he's Canadian. Oh, maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can post them on Discord or hit us up, you know, any number of other ways. If you can't make it to Cover to Cover Live, shoot an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. I'm just saying we've mentioned Joe Reynolds' name at least two or three times this episode alone. It's true. Remember to keep your recorded messages on the shorter side, please. 
because we have a lot of live callers that call in and we need to share the air. If you're new to the show and you personally prefer your 10-year-old Atlanteans nude, first of all, I'd argue you're a sicko. Second, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like stately Lord Fungus, who just celebrated his 50th trip around the sun. Congratulations, sir, on your 21st I think that makes birth. him like 500. That makes him 21. Okay, let's not out the guy's age, all right? Oh. If you okay. like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up. If you up. account for daylight savings time. Right, right, right. Well, British daylight savings time is different, so. Yeah, boy. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content or you can just make a one-time donation <laughs> via PayPal because you want us to lie to everyone about your age, too. We'll do that for money. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary artists Kevin O'Neill and Carlos Pacheco, both of whom passed away this week. O'Neill was known for creating martial law in the 80s, among many other things, uh, like 2008 D. Uh, he did some Green Lantern work. Uh, he became a comics sensation when he and Alan Moore created the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in 1999. Pacheco began making waves at both Marvel and DC in the 90s and will forever be known for his work on the epic Avengers Forever series alongside his frequent collaborator Kurt Busiek, with whom he would later work on Action Comics and their creator-owned Aerosmith series. Word to you, sirs. You'll be missed. Two titans in of the one industry. week. Ugh. I, I like I am a huge Carlos Pacheco fan. I am too. I, I love Kevin O'Neill. I am as well. so sad. Both these guys. Massive losses. Pour one out for Kevin and Carlos when you get a chance, kids. And until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just pour one out all over your pile. This is the two-headed nerd signing off.